Hello and welcome to Well I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. We chat about what they know now, what they wish they'd known earlier, and what their experience has taught them about dementia, about life, about anything and everything. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum lived with vascular dementia for the last decade of her life. She's no longer with us. But one of the main things that mum's dementia taught me and my family was just how little we knew about it. Now, through my work as a dementia blogger and campaigner, I know so much more about this incurable condition. Not least that the smallest things can make a huge difference to those with dementia and their families and carers. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And dementia teaches you this, too. Now, I've scrapped the opening to my original introduction to today's guest, because I think this little story of the past few days tells you a lot about dementia. My guest lives with the condition. One of the ways it's affected her is that she can no longer cope with phones and likes to see the person she's talking to so she can gauge their reactions. Fair enough. We can Skype or FaceTime, she said. I've never recorded a podcast using video as well as audio, and I'm famously bad with technology, so I was a bit worried, but hey-ho. Then, over the weekend, I was discombobulated to discover that my guest didn't have a mobile phone. No worries, she said. You can FaceTime via email address, even without an iPad. Really? I had no idea. And here we are. So despite my technical ignorance, my guest, Jennifer Butte, has enabled today's podcast. Dr Butte, for those of you who don't know her, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease 11 years ago. She knows only too well that the trick is to be enabled to do as much as possible, not to be disabled by the condition, or for that matter, by IT illiterates like me. Dr Butte has a wonderful smile. She greeted me with it when I mistakenly FaceTimed her yesterday morning, even though it was a Sunday and she had every right to be furious. She brims with hope and gratitude despite the many slings and arrows that life has thrown at her, and there have been a few. Until the age of four, her life was one of love and security, but this changed overnight when her mother died suddenly. and She and her sisters were split up and she was sent to live with her grandparents. Then at university, she fell in love and became engaged, only for her fiancé to meet her off the train one day and completely out of the blue, ask for his ring back. The bottom of my world fell out, she says. It was like a sinkhole, taking everything with it. Still, she picked herself up, scrambled out of the hole and went on to have a highly successful career in medicine, only to be diagnosed at the age of 63 with early onset dementia. See what I mean about the knockbacks. And yet, incredibly, supported by her Christian faith, she regards her latest challenge not as a life-shattering disaster, but as a gift, as a, to quote her, glorious opportunity because it allows her to view the condition not just as a relative, her father, who was a Baptist minister, also lived with dementia, or as a medical professional, but from the inside out, as someone living with it. Two years ago, her book, Dementia from the Inside, A Doctor's Personal Journey of Hope, was published 
On its cover is a poppy, a flower that blooms in land that's been savagely disturbed. To Jennifer, whose mind is under attack from one of the most feared conditions of our time, these scarlet flowers represent a potent symbol of hope, life and joy. Having dementia, she says, has enriched my life. So Dr Jennifer Butte, <laughs> there's your smile. Welcome to Well I Know Now. And first, before we talk about anything else, could you just explain why you like to see the person you're talking to? Because I think that's instructive for all of us. Well, only 7% of communication is words. The rest is to do with tone and expressions and body language and all the other things. And I find it very difficult to read now as well. But if I see the person or when I'm talking to people, I can gauge their reactions and then temper what I say according to that. So a mobile phone to me is no use because I can't use it. I always press the wrong buttons. We've given up. Yeah. <laughs> but on Zoom or Skype or Telegram or all the other things which I'm at home with, I've always been IT literate. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And it's so simple, as you have found out. <laughs> well, I still struggle. I think I'll always struggle a bit with it. But well done you for letting us get here today. So can I take you back a bit to your very early childhood? That must have been a terrific shock when literally overnight, I think, your mum died when you were four. Can I, could you just describe sort of a little bit about your childhood? Well, I had a very happy childhood. I had wonderful parents, and there were four of us, twins two years older than me, myself and my younger sister. And I have very few memories, of course, before my mother died, but, you know, it was a ha they were happy memories. And my mother dying in, in the night was a complete shock. She had a familiar condition, which I've actually got as well. Right. <laughs> but there was no treatment in those mm. days. Mm. But, you know, I've got treatment, so mm. that's fine. And... My father was brilliant. We were split up afterwards because who wants four little girls yeah. to look after? <laughs> but within, it was just over a year, I think, then my father had us all back together again. He changed right. jobs to get a residential job so he could live on the premises, you see. So he was always there if we needed him. He taught us to cook and clean at, yes, at early age. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which we did, and we loved it. I mean, it was such fun. You know, we'd wash the kitchen floor in our bathing costumes. I mean... Doing the housework was fun. You did the kitchen floor in your bathing costumes? Yes, Of course, not? it's practical. <laughs> so it didn't matter if you got all wet, you mean? Well, we had to do it anyway, so why not make it part of fun, you know? So we didn't have much money. We didn't have toys and, and things to play with. So why not play with the work you had to do? Yes, yes. Do you think your father's given you a lot of your sort of... Uh, you probably won't like the work, so I doubt you see it like this, but your stoicism, the way that you... Yes, I'm sure. He wasn't going to give up. He never complained. Uh, he was never bitter. He never criticised. He always made the most of everything. Yes. Yes. And then I think you got appendicitis and you yes. fairly early on realised that you were very interested in the body. That's right. I thought it was wonderful. Great fun, this being in hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd like to be a doctor and be interested in how it all worked. Yes. yes. And so you made your way, you got into St Bartholomew's in London, one of the great teaching hospitals. And I think you were one of nine girls to 100 male 11, students. 111 men. So, yes. 
Well, I have an ultimate streak in me, you see, because I was told at school that I could only be a nurse, that women could uh-huh. only be nurses. Were you? Yes, I was told that. And I objected. So she yeah. said, well, I could go to the Royal Free that was all women. Well, I'd been to an all-women's school all my life, all-women's you know, yeah. family. I said, not likely. So I decided I'd go to Bart's because they hated women. <laughs> So that was a bit of the devil in you there. You just thought Yes, you'd... I'm afraid so, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you. And you got in there and you met along the way a Dr Barker who yes. became instrumental in the way in which your life went a bit. That's right. I actually met him when I was at school. I went to a conference in London called Men, Magic and Medicine. I still remember it. When he spoke about his work amongst the Zulus. And I was so inspired. I spoke to him afterwards and he said, well, write to me. And um, he's a very famous doctor. I mean, he's written books and so on. And many, many people have worked under him. And he used to write back regularly in beautiful italic script. And he said, wow. if you end up doing medicine, which I'm sure you will, he said. Fantastic. Um, come out and do your elective with me. In Zululand. Yes. Which is what I did. Yes. And when he had married his wife, who was also a missionary out in, in Africa... I think she had a two-bedroom little hut. But by the time I reached there, he had a, I think it was a 700-bed hospital. He was one of these amazingly gifted people who could raise money and do, he was a brilliant surgeon. I learned so much, so much. And I was so grateful because, you know, as a student, I learned so much that when I actually then worked, I had skills that some of the doctors didn't have. Did you? Can you think of one or, one or two of the things that you learnt from him at that very early point in your career? Well, he would be up early in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, writing right. letters to medical students like, you know, me, I had been. Yeah. Our, our ward round started at seven in the morning. Work started at seven in the morning. Worked all through the day. He provided, he and his wife provided breakfast and, and lunch for us, the students, because he ran the hospital mainly with students. And then after we'd finished in the evening, we then had to give lectures to the nurses because we had to train our own nurses. So I learned, you know, I was teaching even then. Yes, and that was something, again, which I think you say you have a sort of innate, quite early on that came, this love of teaching and talking and helping others. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, I did that at school. You know, if you remember, I didn't go to school until I was quite old. And when I did, you know, I enjoyed helping the other children. Yes. I I love helping other people and bringing out their potential yes, yes yes and so you were you were at Bart's and then you had this terrible experience with this uh, broken engagement but you picked yourself up and then undaunted by this brush with the opposite sex you then met the man you went on to marry Stanley who was a senior social services manager yes yes that's right yes yes, yes. and you went on to have four Children of three your children. Three, three children. Sorry, you were one of four, and you had three. That's yes, right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. but then after a while, his work took him abroad quite a bit, didn't it? Because he was made redundant, and so he took. Yes, he was made redundant, and then he chose again to spend his time profitably, either helping other people or working with various charities abroad, all around the world. Till eventually, he got headhunted. So, oh. and he loved it. He loved it working with you know librarian, child soldiers, and Rwanda and the genocide. I mean, it was just terrible, the things he dealt with. But he loved it. He really felt fulfilled in in difficult situations. Mm. I think that's the way we've we've always been, and with our children, and our faith is central to all of Mm. us. 
Mm. That even in dreadful times, in the worst of times, mm. we can still care and show love and compassion and care mm. and, you mm. know, do something positive. <laughs> yes, because your house, when you first got married, I think you had lots of people sort of coming in and out, people who might need some help and they would stay for sometimes quite a long time or a short time, yes, but right. you would just help people out generally. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, that's right. We have so much in our country. You know, I'm so privileged to have the background that I have, mm. all the opportunities, because, you know, when it all fell apart with my engagement, I just did, studied more, did more exams, mm. got more qualifications. Mm. You know, I'm so privileged mm. to have had the background. So the least I can do is to is to share what I have, isn't it, and help mm. others. It's the least I can do. And then I think you get things in return, don't you? Because I don't know, can you remember the little story about when you were looking for a house and you had your son had this remarkable encounter with a chap in a car park? Yes. One of those things where you think, well, you know, how did that happen? Yes, it's well, that must have been God. There was no other explanation mm. for it. We'd been hunting for ages and we'd sold our house, for those who haven't read the book, and we'd sold it and signed everything. Mm. Little did we know that... The people that we were buying from um, had decided they had been we'd been gazumped. Mm, mm. So even though we had signed, the people we were buying from hadn't signed. Yes. So we had to get out in two weeks' time. So we had everything booked, the removals and everything, and nowhere to go. Yes. And we somebody knew else had put in a higher markets. offer and they took it. Yes, yes. And we had nowhere to go. And so we went in to look for more. It's wonderful. We parked the car. My eldest son was a little boy. He got out and ran up to the man standing in the car park and said, we're looking for a house to put our home in. <laughs> and the man, I rushed up to say, I'm ever so sorry. Yeah, yeah. And he said, what's all this about? And to cut a long story short, he was an estate agent yeah. that had just come from a house. Yes. And he said, how much were you hoping you know, to buy it for. So we said, we've got a mortgage organised for a certain amount. And he said, well, he said, this house is exactly that amount yeah, of money. Yeah. So we went to the house and, you know, my husband immediately said, this is perfect. Mm. It wasn't on the market. There were no plans or anything. And the lady who answered the door said, oh, marvellous. This is an answer to prayer. And her husband said, Haha, they won't be able to buy it. There's a condition. Oh. So he said, well, what condition? He said, you have to move in two weeks today. Wow. So we said, well, we've got the removal booked already. <laughs> yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> Just a different address. Yes, yeah, so you were able to do it. So we absolutely extraordinary. Yes. And then you were a GP. Yes, yes. But of course, Stanley was going abroad a lot. So yes, you had a lot yes. to contend with. You had your three children. Yes. You had, you were a member of a GP presumably you weren't the executive partner then but you were a full-time GP were you at that point? Well at times when the children were little I was only part-time they were brilliant the way they, yes. they let me work part you know to do my hours around taking children to school and collecting them up yes. but as they got older I worked more hours of course yes and then I worked my way up through the through the system and yes eventually got to being the yes the but you also had to run the house you had a very yes. large garden yes. Yes. and yes. you were also yes. running lots of sort of voluntary organisations yes. as well. Yes. So you certainly had your yes. hands yes. full. Yes, well, as children, as you gathered, we did everything. You know, yes. you, you had to do everything. 
And my father knew how to work. So we, we all know how to work, you know, all the children, the four children, we all hard work hard, you know. So it was just what you did, you know. I don't believe in this me time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you know, I get joy from helping other people. I get joy from giving. Yes. I, do. I do. Yes, yes. Well, I have to say, you were the first woman in Hampshire to become a fellow of the Royal College of General Practitioners. So that was quite something. Can you remember how old you were then? No, I can't. I'm you sorry. can't. No, sorry, that was a silly question of mine. But you're very good at remembering a lot of things. I thought perhaps you might. Yes, well, it's to do with feelings, as you know. One of my hobby yes. horses, feelings, are far more important. That than is that. one of the things you gave me as your your yeah. sort of learnings, the things that you know yeah, now. Feelings remain. That's right. So even if you don't remember the facts, yes, or the facts aren't quite right, which is why all the family had to check the book for facts. Right. <laughs> um, and that, you know, I'd obviously kept a written record, but it was the feelings, it's the, the feelings that imprint things. And that's so true with what I know now yes. and helping other people living with dementia. The facts aren't important anymore. Yes. It's the feelings yes. that are so important. Yes. But actually, interestingly, through the emotions, you do get to a lot of the facts, don't you? Because yeah. yeah. when I talk to you, you do supply me with a lot of facts. Yes. Well, you have ability to drag them out of me, I guess. <laughs> don't know about that but you know it's very very interesting yeah that was one of your one of the things you let me know in advance that you feel very strongly about now so let's get on to your dementia then so you started to have some actually quite frightening symptoms could you explain those well, yes when I was working and I used to have these dreadful hallucinations and you know I kept having the drains checked and you know things Checked, which of course weren't there, but I didn't realise they were hallucinations. And you were smelling things, were you? If you had the yes, drains that's checked. right. Smelling things and seeing things, and and then I didn't know who people were. I didn't recognise my colleagues. It was just awful. Yes. And you know, we'd have meetings with people, and I would ask the people to introduce themselves, and they said, "Well, what do you mean? I'm your partner, for goodness sake! You're you know yes. at work." And I thought, "Well, something's not right here. Something's not right." You had nasty smells, didn't you? Burning yes. smells. Yes, they're all nasty sewers and. Yes, and they're still around and the burning, yes, but nobody can see that. Yeah. So I just learned to keep quiet about it. And you heard things like babies crying. Yes. And typewriters clacking. Yes, yes. Mm. How, how did you deal with that? Well, it's very interesting because, you see, everything's an opportunity to learn and help other people. So I knew that people who, now, of course, I can't remember all the details, but there are other professions like... Yes. Perfumes where you smell things or yes. wines where you taste things. Yes. And in order to get rid of that, to do the next one, you do other things. Yes. So you have to re replace it with something. Yes. So I found out with the smells, the really bad ones that I really upset me and made me feel sick and everything. If I almost stuck my nose in fresh coffee, yes. ground coffee, yes. the smell of the fresh ground coffee would overpower. Yes, of course that particular smell and it would go away yes. it might come back again yes and it's the same with sounds if I replaced the sound with something you know different music or orchestra or singing or something it would yes. go away because yes. it was replaced by the louder input it's like you know it's a doctor with pain isn't it if you mm, mm, you know mm. if you if you have an itch you scratch mm, mm. and the scratch replaces the the itch in mm. the brain. So mm. we understand this, don't we? we it's do. the same principle. principle. Okay, yes. And it's the same then with a lot of things with dementia that are bad. You have to replace them with the good. Yes. So people who have bad, whatever it is, yes. 
It's not a matter of saying, oh dear, or moaning on about it. You replace it with something that's good. Mm, mm, mm. And you sometimes say, this is slightly different, but I love the way you always want to find a way around something. You know, when you get right deep into the more severe dementias, you say, yes, but if you want to find that person who is still there, another one of your yeah. things that you know now, the person <laughs> always remains. Yeah. So many people, yeah. of course, tell me that. And you go to the back door. So they're not answering the front door, as it were. You might climb in a window or go around yes, the back. Right. Or... That's right. And that's what you would do with an ordinary house, wouldn't it? If, yeah. You know, I, when I speak, I say to people at conferences, I say, what would you do if you ring the front door? Mm. And they don't answer. There's always someone who says, I'd go home. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> so I said, oh, dear, it's not the right answer. Mm. But most people would say, you know, try the back door, phone them, shout through the letterbox, talk through the window. I passionately believe the true person is there until the end. And I mm. think most people know that often people with dementia, just before they die, they have what they call this lucid mm. period. Mm. You know, most people who don't even believe the person is still there right to the end will admit that. Mm. Now, if they suddenly at the end, mm. even it comes out in some of the films that are around even, that right at the mm. end they mm. might mm. find out, it means it was there all the time. It was locked up. Mm. So the challenge and the opportunity is to find the key, Absolutely, so yeah. To find that person. And it's different for everyone. Yes. And what works for one doesn't work for another. But I passionately believe that the people who say they're not there anymore, that is not the case. Mm. And it's my opportunity and glorious opportunity to try and find these people. Mm. And some relatives are delighted and others are not happy about it. Oh, right. Yes, I mean, I have the privilege now of living in this dementia-inclusive village where we have a, a nursing home and an advanced dementia unit. We live here until we, we die, mm -hmm. which is fine. That's why mm -hmm. we're here. Mm -hmm. And... You know, a large proportion of us have got dementia, live with dementia, and the really ones that need the 24-hour care are in a special unit with mm -hmm. special care, 24-hour care, whereas I can get it all the time. But And if I go over there, and I, you know, I do what I did before COVID, of course, and I get to know these people. And I can remember one lady I'd got to know quite well. And I went in one day, and the staff don't wear uniforms, so you never know who are staff. And someone was sitting next to her, and I thought, is that staff or is it not? So I went up to the person and said hello to her and she smiled at me and I said to the person next to her, I'm so-and-so. I, I always explain who I am. And yes. I don't think I know you. You know, are you a member of staff? She said, no, I'm her daughter. So I said, oh, what a lovely mother you've got, mm. uh, was the reply. <laughs> so I said, oh, yes, we have wonderful conversations. Uh, she doesn't talk. So she mm. turned to her mother and she said, so what did you have for breakfast? Well, of course, her mother just stared at yes. her. Yeah. And asked her silly questions. Well, what I would call silly questions. So I said to the daughter, well, may I sit down and talk with your mother? If you must. So I, I can't believe that some relatives are like that. So I sat down next to her mother and I said, oh, it's so lovely to see you. You have such a lovely smile. You know, the sun is shining, the sky is blue. And she said, yes, and the leaves on the tree are changing colour, aren't they? Mm. And we carried on. You know, I have five methods to get people to talk. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? There are five methods. No. And that was what I would call a parallel method. You run your own conversation until they join in. Yes, yes. And she started joining in and we were chatting away. And the daughter was furious. Why? She said, because I said to her, I said, why are you so angry? I said, I'm ever so sorry to have upset you because, you know, we care about people. 
I said, I'm really sorry to have upset you so much, but why are you so angry? She said, well, I didn't come and see my mother very often. I didn't say, well, I know that. <laughs> mm. So she said, because she couldn't talk to me. It was a waste of time. So I said, well, are you realising that you might, perhaps it might be worthwhile coming more often? I'm not going to, she said, and she got up and strayed out. So I was, it was so sad. So she so was, sad. yeah, maybe, so she was almost sort of not, Wanting to come. I mean, maybe that's the way she dealt with the emotion around it all. Yes, because there's always a reason. You see, that's another mm, of my things. There's mm. always a reason. She didn't understand. Yeah. And so many people don't understand. Mm. They don't mean to be horrid. They don't. No, they no. Don't. It's their way. They're grieving in their own Exactly. Way. I think that's right. I yeah. mean, I'm just reading at the moment Nikki Gerard's very lovely book, What Dementia Teaches Us About Love. She yeah. talks about this a bit, about the way even with our language we sort of do that. We will say about somebody with dementia in the later stages sometimes, oh, they're not there anymore, or, you know, they've gone. They haven't. Uh, yes, but in a way, it's, as she, she sort of says, it's sort of to try and put them away, you know, because you can't deal with it yourself. Yes. You want to sort Absolutely of put right. them somewhere else. And yes. it becomes very, like a lot of my guests have said, it's very them and us. Yes. Rather than we, it's very interesting, you know, the words that you've used and the way you say that the people, I know it's at St Monica's Trust Village, isn't yeah. it, where you live, yeah. they don't wear uniforms and it's all, you know, you didn't know who was the staff and who was living there, whatever. You know, this this all helps to sort of break that down, but in a way it's something very deep within us that yes. it's the fear, isn't it, as well, it, and the not knowing right. how to it's react. Fear. Yes, it's fear. Mm. And I understand that, and mm. I, you know, I try very hard with them, with relatives too, to help them. And you know, sometimes I think, oh, I, I didn't do very well with her, you know, mm, mm, really. Mm, mm. I felt that I failed, really. But other people, if you do it the correct way, it, it's been wonderful. I mean, with hallucinations, I've discovered a tremendous number of people with dementia actually have hallucinations, and people don't know. Right. And I'm very open about mine, and I can remember at one of my memory groups which no doubt we'll talk about later because often the relatives would come along and see what we do mm. and I was talking to one lady that I'd been having these dreadful hallucinations and about a dog being attacked by a dog and so on and she said oh yes I know so I said to her daughter and her husband who was there you know do you have hallucinations and the daughter interruption said no she definitely doesn't as if it was a disgrace right you know, it's, it's fear again isn't and it shame shame it's shame but in fact, the husband did, reacted completely differently. Mm. He said, oh, he said, is that why That's she gets why. upset when I take the dog out for a walk? Because she's got no one left to protect her. Mm. And the, the wife said, yes. Because there's always a reason, as you say. There's always a reason. Mm. We may not know what it is, but... Yes, but he'd never asked, why do you get so, so angry, angry and upset mm. when I take the dog for a walk? He assumed it was because she couldn't go with him. Mm. But it wasn't. It was because the dog wasn't there to protect her against her hallucinations. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. That's so interesting. interesting. It is very interesting. But he reacted very positively and was very grateful. Yes. So it's Pe interesting. People react people differently. React differently. Mm, absolutely. Sorry, we've sort of strayed onto all this without... <laughs> Just go back to your, your... So you had the hallucinations. And I know it took you, as it often does, didn't it, five years to get a diagnosis. You saw three yeah. neurologists... And finally, Dr. Peter Garrard, who I've come across, yes. actually, at Southampton. Yeah. Brilliant chap. Yes. He, He's at St. George's now. Now, he is indeed. That's right. I've met him there. He uh, diagnosed you. Yes. 
And then what you knew already, you knew, yes, didn't you? Yes, I knew, yes. Mm. Mm. Because you just, your father had vascular dementia. Yes. You, yes. You've yes. seen dementia in various different dimensions is one of the ways yes. you put it. Yes. Um, it's a privilege again, isn't it? Because I've seen, I had patients with dementia. Mm. My father had dementia. Mm. I have it from the inside and mm. I live amongst all these other people. People who have it. Mm. Hundreds, you know, dozens and dozens of people who, I mean, it's hundreds over the years I've been here and I'm learning from their stories. It's such a privilege living mm. with them 24 hours a day, isn't it? Mm. So you, you really feel that? You soak up the knowledge that you gain yes. from all this experience? I learn from them mm. and their stories and, you know, what works with them and... You know, I don't get it right all the time. I don't. And everyone is different. You know, mm, what works mm. for one does not work for another no, one. No, it's very individual. And yes. And people can get upset. They say, well, it didn't work. With well, that's fine. That's mm. perfectly okay. But let's find another way mm. to help. Because mm. mm. there generally will be another way. Your words on that subject remind me of um, Chris Roberts. Chris yes, and Jane Roberts. Yeah. He yes, is lovely. And um, for people listening, Chris Roberts also has dementia. And I had him and his wife on a podcast um, on my first series. Yes, and Jane good. was saying there was a light bulb moment for her when she realised, and it had taken some time to realise, it's a bit like we're talking about, you don't know why, but Chris was saying, I can't... She thought he couldn't make a cup of tea anymore. And then it became apparent. He couldn't make a cup of tea because he couldn't boil the kettle. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as she realised that, it was because their kettle was one of those kettles with a rather awkward lid. So she went out and bought one where you just pressed a button and the lid flipped up. And all of a sudden, Chris was enabled yes, to make the yes. cup of tea. Yes. Uh, you know, he could make a cup of tea yes. if you gave him the right... Yes, sort of... that's right. And he had the privilege of having a wonderful wife, Jane, I know mm. both of them well, who enabled him. It's like my mm. son, you know, with my IT. Mm. I say, I can't do something. And he said, Mum, you can't hide behind your diagnosis. Find a way. Mm, mm, <laughs> and he's right. He's right. Mm. No, other people have people said give, that. People give up too soon. Yes, everything becomes, oh, it's because of his dementia. Yes. yes it's, it's a not. sort of catch-all and it becomes, as you say, an excuse sometimes. Yes. I mean, not always, obviously. No. So I know it was your son, in fact, talking about IT, who set up your very good website, which is full yeah. of resources and videos. And actually, yes. I've had a good look at them. There are so many of them, as you say, you know, one might not work for somebody, but you have one on music and, you know, and the sort of nature and all sorts of different ways that people can help. Speech and talking, don't I? Memories and time travel. Absolutely. Behavior. I've got a list of them here. I'm yes. not remembering. Yes. On agitation about carers and resources. Yes. yes. The reason we set that up was because I was asked, you know, I don't know how it happened. I, I did a talk. Yes. And somebody said, oh, that was wonderful. Could I repeat it so they yes. could record it? Yes. And my son said, well, why don't we record it and put it on the website, and then anybody can find it. Yes. So that's how it all started. And then each year we add a few more. Mm. He films them mm. with me. He's yes. the technical person. And then, of course, he made this dragon cartoon as well, didn't he, which yes. is on the school resources site, which is great fun. Well, I've just got someone offered, offering to translate into Portuguese. Fantastic. This is for the, the children's cartoons. Your daughter wrote the book. Already. Mm. Mm. There's someone yesterday in Brazil said so they've seen it. I mean, it goes all around the world, doesn't yes, it? Absolutely. Well, that is the, the great thing about <laughs> being online, isn't it? Yes, yes. It, yes. it goes global. So, yes, all these different sort of facilities. And it's interesting as well. And I find this that so often something that's good for somebody with dementia, such as you wanting, you know, liking to see me now, is good for all of us, actually. When I'm researching a subject, I will often prefer the videos to the written text 
it sort of jumps out at you and you can quite quickly see where the story lies. Yeah. When it's a video, when it's spoken, when, it, when you see it, it can become yeah. quite flat unless you're an incredible writer like Nikki Gerard or somebody who really brings the language to life. But yeah. these videos are very powerful for everybody, actually, not just those with dementia. I think yeah. they are a more accessible way to take in information. Yes, mm. the visual, because I have a weekly blog as well on mm. dementia, which is a different site to my own site, which can be accessed by the bottom of my website. I will give all these sites at the end, yes. And my son persuaded me in the summer to do some videos for that. Yes. And, of course, it was amazing what happened to them. And then, of course, it became more difficult and everything, and with COVID and everything, I stopped doing it and went back to just writing. And then I started adding some pictures and my son, not this last week, the week before, I asked him to put a blog on that had been published in America. Hmm. A blog I'd been asked to do, I can't even remember who it was for now. So I said to David, my son, I'm sorry, I can't write a blog. I'm not up to it. Could you just copy and paste hmm. that blog that I wrote yeah. into my site? So he did, but he added to it a photo with one sentence on the top. Right. And it got seen by, what, 7,500 people? Wow. Yes, the visual. It's the visual, but it wasn't the video. You said it was the photo with the one sentence that was striking. Yes. That caught people's attention to make it worthwhile to then read the article. Absolutely. That's why Twitter works for journalists. It's yes, a I sign... can't do t- No, but it's a signposting site in really? that same way. If really? you make because you know you're very limited in the characters in the you know, I don't know. I don't do it. You can only yeah. use 180 characters. They have now oh. increased it a little bit, but you've got to condense it. So it's just a signpost. Yeah. You have to grab yeah. the attention, like a headline. Yes, that's like right. a headline. You have to grab them. Yes, yes. And then you can have a link through to yes. a thousand or two thousand or three thousand word article. Crumbs. Yes, yes. But you've yes. got to grab them, your yes, your you're readers. Right. Mm. Because there's so much out there, isn't there? Mm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not after numbers or grabbing. No, no, it's what sure. helps people. people you want you know, to I get. I don't care where mm. they get their help from. from. Yes. It's just that if I can help in any way, then I want to do that. Yes. And it's enabling so many people who don't know there's help. I mean, the tragedy is, as I'm sure you know, Pippa, um, with many people who, you know, we talk about it and people say, if only I'd known that. Well, this is the exact point of my podcast. Yes, exactly. You know, well, I know now, and I wish yes, I'd known. Right. I wish I'd known yes. earlier, because so many people said that to me. That's right. If I'd known with my father what I know now, absolutely. I mean, I did my best for him, but I would have done far, far more. more. And I felt that a lot with my mother. You know, it's sort yeah. of why I do what I do. Yes, I think we're all looking back a lot, you know, and thinking, gosh, I wish I'd known. So we don't moan about it. We make the most of it and make sure it doesn't happen, happen again and push <laughs> push forward. Yes. Yes, that's right. So. In that vein, can you tell us about the Japanese memory groups? Now, you saw a professor talking yeah. at a conference. He was a Japanese professor. He, wasn't, he didn't run memory groups. Yes. Well, he did in a sense. He was a Japanese professor, Kawashima. And he was speaking at the Excel Centre when I was speaking also with my son. And I went to his lecture. And I was so amazed by what they were doing in Japan. He didn't explain what, he showed what they were doing. He had video evidence, people who were almost vegetative, lying in bed with their mouths open, being spoon-fed, and then being made to learn that one and one made two, being made to do circles again, and this kind of thing. And after 
a few weeks of this with improved going on further, mm -hmm. were able to sit up in a chair and feed themselves. Christ. And he showed people who are being extremely disruptive in care homes, mm. who were made, because in Japan you could do this, to come along to his groups mm. or to his project that he was doing, mm. being made to do maths, simple maths, mm. and drawings and puzzles and things, improved. And I saw this evidence and I thought, if this is the case, why on earth aren't we doing it? Mm. Because to me... You didn't mention this, but to me, it was the reading, writing and arithmetic. Mm, the three R's of, yes, of your and my me, youth. Yes, which is how our brains were wired up when we were kids. Mm, mm. And that was how our brains learnt. And the brain, we've got such neuroplasticity in our brains. We can relearn. I mean, I say to me, it's like after a stroke. People know nowadays they expect people to improve, don't they? Yes, absolutely. They do. Rehabilitation Some, after yes. a stroke. It's rehabilitation, so why not for dementia? Mm -hmm. mm, because why not for mm -hmm. dementia? I think it's very bad that they don't do more in mm -hmm. the early stages because just as for a stroke, mm -hmm. you have that window of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, when people get to the advanced stages, you know, it's almost too late. Mm -hmm. But people in the early stages, you know, that's why a lot of with people on your podcast, they're people who've understood this yes. in the early stages. And now's the time to make a difference. Mm. I came back and thought, well, let's start them here in my inclusive village. So I took along kind of preschool materials. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was not welcome. We were adults. <laughs> yes, because, of course, there's always that sort of, yes, of tantalising so people. My own. Mm. So I started producing my own and printing out each week different things in pieces of paper. And I realised that people coming along, because the group grew and grew, that they were all at different stages because we have people here with you know, early, more moderate stages going right on to advanced. You know, I've had people coming to my groups up to a week or so before they died. <laughs> you know, their wheelchairs, almost mute. I've learned so much. It's wonderful. So I got so confused, you know, with all these papers. In the end, I decided I had to do a booklet. Yes. So that's how the booklet started. Yes. And, of course, the booklets then grew. You know, I found out, you know, music is so important. Absolutely. about that. But, you know, singing, it yes. kind of ties the loose ends up. And then I also found, by mistake, that if we read a poem, that people who were there who didn't say a word would be reading the poem or reciting. They'd all be well-known ones. Yes. We did learn at school. Yes, you know, the owl and the pussycat yes. or, <laughs> you know, well-known songs. The high women and, and yes. Yes, that's yeah. right. You know, the way through the wood and yes. common ones that we all knew at school. Mm. And I would see these people who were mute, apparently, yes. not reading, but reciting these poems. Yes, yes. yes. And then yes. for a few minutes after, they could talk. You know, it's yes. like the... The video of Henry, Absolutely, you know. Absolutely, in the Alive Aside video. Yes, yes this yes. lingering legacy effect. Yes, mm. yes. So we start every group with singing and then reading a poem. Every group. And then we, every group with a different one each time. Sort of limbering up the brain. Yes, that's right. And then we do reading, writing. and well, We've done the reading, of course, with the poem. And then we do the writing. And some people say they can't write anymore. Yes. Well, I can't spell anymore. But it's just sending... The brain sending messages to the hand, so it could be drawing lines, circles, like you do for children before they go to school. You don't have to write an essay, so we can, you know, I have to have pictures to 
whole lot of pictures. And they had to join up the ones that were the same. And they would like that and they wouldn't realise what it was doing for them. Mm, in the brain. So that would be the writing for some and some would have more difficult ones. They'd all be mixed up together. So on every page there was something that somebody could do. And we'd never have any wrong answers. They might be unusual answers. Yeah. <laughs> Creative so answers. So everyone would say, yes, of course, yes. Well, now why do you think that? You yeah. know, We would never say, oh, don't be so silly. We'd never, never say that. No, and, and you then, say that uh, as well as all the fantastic things that are going on with the brain and helping people to almost, you know, sounds a bit dramatic, but sort of come back to life a bit, yes. you're just getting so much joy out of it as well, yes. and laughing. And it was fun, and the group grew and grew. So you have so to many... break up into smaller groups right. in the same room. It was wonderful. And then the management here, who are wonderful, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. So I give them the master copies, and they print out all the booklets for me. With a machine that staples them all up. Oh, it saved me so much grief because yes. I was spending hours trying to work it all out. So it's wonderful, wonderful. So, so how many people were coming to your memory groups? <laughs> well, I'd have um, between 30 and 40 on my book, but I used to go around reminding people, but I couldn't. So we would have probably about 20, 24 coming because people would forget. Yes. They'd yes. be away or they would yes. move yes. or so on and so forth. So... You know, some obviously would die, um, yes. move on or move mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and new people would come in. So it's wonderful. And then, of course, with COVID-19, it's been a challenge. So I was going to ask you about that. Zoom, haven't we? We've gone on to Zoom. Have you? Is that what you do? <laughs> you, you know, how does that work? You see, my son, he's very good. He pushes me. He says, why don't you do Zoom? I said, well, how do you expect him with dementia to do Zoom? But he's right. And mm. the staff, again, have been so wonderful mm. in helping because people with computers is easy. And one member of staff in particular, she was helping me with my, she's a violinist, she's a musician, and she believes in the principles of it all. She's now a full-time member of staff here in the pastoral care. And she's wonderful. So one morning a week, she devotes to this. And before I ended up in hospital, we only had, what, 12 people on Zoom? Yeah. That was amazing. Mm, 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 amazing, mm. isn't it? It is amazing. And a amazing. lot of people with dementia are using Zoom very successfully. Yes, but they have to be helped to set it up and people Absolutely. without computers. So it's a matter of the staff going in now because, you see, this is since COVID. If it wasn't for COVID, yes. we could have got a lot more. Yes. But the staff have to go in and we have iPads that can be lent to people. Yes. And they have to know how to click to get on. And then we have breakup groups and so on in it. And there are more waiting to be helped, so to speak, to get yes, on. Gosh. But they're quite unable to do it by themselves. Well, they are. Mm. But their relatives are <laughs> suddenly mentioning, please, can you get my father on? Please, can you get my mother on? So have you not been allowed any visitors? Have your sons been able to visit you or your daughter? No, 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 no. 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 Well, my son's in Ukraine, but that doesn't make any difference to IT, does it? No. My daughter's in New Zealand. And we went into complete lockdown here, complete yes. lockdown, complete lockdown. But now family can come and visit one, family can in one's flat, but only family mm. because Sir Monica's Trust have been protecting us, of course. Yes. which is very, very good. They've been absolutely brilliant. But you see, I used to visit everybody all the time that. and help people. I can't, I'm not allowed. And of course, having come out of hospital, mm. um, I'm on quarantine for two weeks. Mm which runs out this Saturday. So. Good. Hooray. But again, we can talk to each other outside our flats, but we're not allowed inside each other's flats yes. anymore at the moment, yeah. which is yeah. right. But 
and outside we can't meet up with more than six at a time. That's so, right. Yeah, I know. It's hard, isn't it? But have you just looked upon that as another opportunity? Or Well, yes, but it's a challenge because, you yeah. see, people who aren't doing this constant... You see, it's like with stroke. If you don't yes, do your exercises, absolutely. you won't improve. And people who were coming to my Japanese memory groups, their scores were improving. You know, yes. their MMSEs were improving. And the family was saying what a difference it had yes. made. And that's why the staff, you know, pour resources into it, really, don't they? With absolutely. the two members of staff who help and with the booklets. So when the COVID came down, I was delivering the booklets, but of course I can't do that anymore. Yes. So my son says, there's another, he says, don't complain, it's another glorious opportunity. <laughs> Suppose you laid yourself open to that one with of the name of yours. <laughs> I've got to find a way. I've yeah. Way. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. I think you're sort of living, walking, talking inspiration and uh, <laughs> an IT support for me. <laughs> So thank you very much and good luck with it all as we come. Thank you. you know. Well, you're a joy to talk to, Pope. You're so easy to talk to. Good. And I don't know it all. I'm still learning. <laughs> well, aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Well, what a woman. In the face of some adversity, Dr. Jennifer Butte has such an appetite for life, a thirst for knowledge and for sharing that knowledge with others. Sharp intelligent, down-to-earth and modest. To become Hampshire's first female fellow of the Royal College of General Practitioners when you are already succumbing to dementia is no mean feat. For anyone who noticed that she'd been in hospital and may be worried, she's now back at home out of quarantine and recovering well with her usual enthusiasm and stoicism. You can find her website with its numerous resources at www gloriousopportunity.org and she also has a Facebook page again called Glorious Opportunity with the videos and blogs she mentioned. My dementia work has introduced me to so many fabulous people and Dr Jennifer Butte is definitely one of them. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on as this will help spread the word about the podcast and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.